1: And welcome to the Forecast Fest. We're so glad you can join us. I am Kate Baldwin here with my colleagues John Avlon. Hola. And the Harry Enten. Shalom. It's like the Ohio State, which I despise, but I decided to. Ohio State to give it University. To Harry. <laughs> this week it's all about Iowa and what voters are talking about and what candidates are shouting about. On that note, why is Bernie Sanders taking a page from the Donald Trump playbook? We will discuss. And is it still the economy stupid? Harry's mini-obsession this week on who could be the gettables for Trump to expand his base and how he's definitely not talking to them right now. Then there's a little Avalon obsession. (laughs) Emperors, kings, or presidents. Maybe a little Freudian there for Avalon. A fascinating study about how much power voters really want their president to have. But before we do any of that, let's get the very latest forecast. Harry, where do things stand?
2: Well, this for this week's forecast, we're going to zoom in on Iowa and take a look at a Monmouth University poll that was taken last week. For those of you who did not see it, I'll just give you the top line pretty quickly. Joe Biden holding on to his lead there with 28 percent. Elizabeth Warren jumping up to 19 percent. She was in the single digits the last time Mama took a poll back in April. Kamala Harris is at 11 percent in third place. Bernie Sanders down from the double digits. He's down to 9 percent in fourth place. And Pete Buttigieg stood in fifth place at 8 percent. No one else. Topped 3% in that particular poll. But what I'm really interested in is I went back in history and sort of looked at what do the polls at this particular point mean in terms of what your chance of winning the Iowa caucuses are. And basically, someone who's in Joe Biden's position, who's polling in the high 20s, tends to win the Iowa caucuses about 35% of the time. And what does that mean? Well, it means he's the most likely to win, right?
1: But yeah. that's not great.
2: But it's no. not great. It means that there's a better chance than not that someone else will win the caucuses. Someone in Elizabeth Warren's position, polling at around 20% wins about 20% of the time. And then basically you have those three, Harris, Sanders, and Buttigieg polling right around 10%. And that uh, for each of them basically um, correlates with them each having a 10% chance of winning. And if you add all those up, that means that there's still 15% of the pie. Essentially, there's a 15% chance that it's not one of the top five who ends up winning the Iowa caucuses. And, And who
3: historically would have fit in that pattern
2: Uh, that would you know if you were to go back for instance at this point in the 1980 Republican Iowa caucus contest you would find that George Herbert Walker Bush was only polling at one percent and he ended up winning the Iowa Republican caucuses that year so there's still still some time
1: but does it's just a different time it's a different political process now I feel like with Democrats Iowa means so much more this time just because of how big the field is and how much momentum they know they need um, going forward. I just maybe I'm wrong. No,
3: I, I mean, well, also back then, Iowa wasn't Iowa as we know it now. It actually was a caucus. It was kind of just a, a, a opening starter. But New Hampshire was the main event. Um, now, really, everything matters. Iowa, if, if Biden can't clear Iowa, New Hampshire is a much tougher road for him to hoe because he's got two neighboring state senators running in the primary, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, Vermont, Elizabeth. With Warren from uh-huh. Massachusetts, it's historically been very difficult to dislodge a, a neighboring state, uh, you know, senator or governor from uh, New Hampshire. Not Can I ask but you guys the,
1: well, this? Uh, looking at the Monmouth poll, yes, there's a question in the Monmouth poll that there isn't a lot of these polls that I'm sorry doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> when they ask the question, "What's your second choice?" Why does that even matter? It's Warren is their first second choice, and Kamala Harris is their second second choice in this poll. I don't understand. Yeah. I okay. Would... Everyone's raising their hands. Go. Okay.
2: So essentially, the way it would go is that if you without you know diving too deep into it, if you're under 15% in a particular caucus, remember, their are caucuses. Exactly. Is the state-wide, I think
3: cauckeye is the uh, plural.
2: <laughs> there I was not an English major. In fact, I failed numerous grammar quizzes in eighth grade. But uh, listen to
1: us, folks. And <laughs> cried
2: about it. Um, but essentially, if you're under a 15% threshold in an individual caucus, that means that your voters get reallocated to the other candidates. And so given that Elizabeth Warren, in this particular poll, is the number one second choice It perhaps indicates that maybe in a number of these caucuses, if none of these candidates, remember, only two of the candidates here, top 15 percent, and there are a slew of candidates out of the 20 plus who are under that, that could, in fact, indicate that maybe even if she wins, even if Joe Biden wins the initial first vote, she could, in fact, be in a good position when these other candidates have their choices. And
3: and then the other question is, yeah, who's is second? Um, right. because because right. because bernie's seconds are presumably going to overwhelmingly go to a oh. uh, war
2: oh. 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 no 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 Maybe. no no, 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 no. Maybe not. if you were to look at the national polling for instance what you would actually find is that people who select bernie sanders as their first choice there's Second choice is that the plurality is actually Joe Biden. And the reason that is – My is,
1: brain is like melting Septuagenarian, exploding. Help the, me. the, <laughs> the,
2: the reason why is because we tend to think of things, ideologically speaking, liberal, moderate, very liberal, conservative, so on and so forth. But in fact, for a lot of voters, if you were to look, what do Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden uh, share in common? Well, one Snowy thing that, white hair. Nothing. That, that is for sure. But one thing that they do share in common is their supporters tend to be those who lack a college degree. Versus Elizabeth Warren supporters tend to overwhelmingly have college degrees. So
1: look at the demographic of the voter support. Okay. Yes.
2: And so it, it could get a it could get a very interesting. But to me, if I were to sort of just put a sort of nice little cap on it, what this tends to indicate is there's some time left. The candidate who's probably going to win the caucuses is one of the top five. Biden has the best shot. But he if I was betting, I'd bet on the field, not Biden. Um,
1: one more person just quickly uh, before we move on. There's an update. According to the New York Times, John Hickenlooper is ending his presidential bid, mulling a run for Senate in Colorado instead. My quick take... Why not when you look at where he's polling and how he, how everyone says how well he could do against Cory Gardner?
3: <clears throat> yeah, well, that's no question. I mean, here's a guy who's been the popular two term governor of the state, much better position to win the Senate seat. Obviously, no one running for president wants to concede that too early, but at some point, you got to make a concession to reality. Hickenlooper's been holding out a lot of hope about Iowa because actually he had a cousin, uh, also named Hickenlooper, who was the uh, senator from Iowa. And so he's, you know, one of his arguments he's made to reporters like, us is, you know, I think I've got higher name ID than you'd think in Iowa. That has not been borne out by the polls to date. Um, and so, you know, as much as I, I, I think he, he has a great record of being governor on paper, he's actually a perfect guy to run for president. Right. I think he'd be better served by running for Senate. I,
2: I, I will just add this, 0% is the most frequent number that John Hickenlooper gets in the Iowa caucuses polls. And then just in terms of that Senate race, look, Colorado is a state that now leans left in the nation. If we know one thing from the 2018 elections is how you vote for president is increasingly reflected in the Senate race for how you will vote there. So Cory Gardner, the incumbent, is no doubt in trouble. And although there's just internal polling going on at this point, the internal polling does suggest that Hickenlooper would not only be a heavy favorite in the primary, but he'd also be a favorite running against Cory Gardner in the general election.
1: Fascinating. So we will wait for do you, does he go by Hick or Loop or Hickey Loop?
3: Uh, Hick is what he's called uh, up in the uh, All
1: right. So we'll wait for—
3: the state. <laughs> Up in the mountains. Up in the mountains. We'll
1: wait for Hick's announcement, um, whatever it may be. So we know now where they stand in terms of the forecast. But how does that play into this new strategy You tell me if you think it's new or not, in the primary. A politician railing against the media, blaming the media for all things that are wrong with their campaign. This time it is not President Trump we're talking about. It is Bernie Sanders. Here's what he said on the stump about the Washington
3: Post. Corporations, anybody here know how much Amazon paid in taxes last year? Zero! And I talk about that all of the time. And then I wonder why the Washington Post which
0: is owned by Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, doesn't write particularly good articles about me. I don't know why.
1: First off, Sanders is wrong. Marty Baron, the editor of The Washington Post, rightfully spoke out and issued a statement, going as far to call it a conspiracy theory, what Bernie was doing. Why is he doing it, John?
3: Well, I mean, I think first of all, it's not wrong that Bernie Sanders hasn't gotten consistently glowing coverage from the Washington Post. What is wrong is that his criticism of Amazon has anything to do with that. Um, And and that's important. Look, Bernie, as a devout Democratic Socialist populist, um, rails against the establishment. He has never been someone taken tremendously seriously within Washington because of his extreme views. Now, he deserves a lot of credit for moving the debate, or at least the Overton window, in his direction. But um, when he appeals of those sorts of conspiracy theories you see you know what's sometimes called the horseshoe theory of American politics, which is the far right and the far left actually bend in the back towards each other. They employ a lot of the that's same tactics. Yeah, and 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 so I think you see that a lot. You know, when, when Bernie and Trump won New Hampshire last time around, it was so inconsistent with historically how the state has voted, but it said a lot about the outsider anger and the populism uh, in in the primaries and in 2016. He's going to keep playing that card because that's actually who he is: someone who rails against the establishment and someone some folks on the fringes on both sides are very receptive to that message, which is why you saw there were some Trump voters who would vote for Bernie and vice versa, even though on the ideological spectrum, that makes less than zero sense.
1: Where, where are the numbers on uh, how attacking the media uh, works?
2: Well, you know, you're talking about horseshoes, and all I can remember is the polo grounds, which, of course, is the greatest baseball stadium <laughs> ever built. You do not remember the polo grounds, to be clear. <coughs> you
3: were not alive.
2: I, I was alive in spirit as John is dying here from the is dying. Sorry,
3: I'm coughing because of the sheer absurdity of you waxing reminiscent <laughs> about something that was torn down like 50 years before you were born it was only torn
2: down like 30 years before I was your born theory, but...
1: your conspiracy theory John <laughs> Avalon is actually bearing out it's, oh Benjamin, he, Button? Yeah, Benjamin, but.
2: Benjamin, it's Benjamin Button I'm Benjamin Button it's entirely possible Harriet is Benjamin Button I'm going to throw that out <laughs> Benjamin Button <laughs> with numbers and let me tell you why I think this idea of railing against the media won't necessarily work as well in the Democratic primary as it would work in a Republican primary take a look at this so Gallup has asked the past few cycles you know how much trust do you have in mass media. And among Republicans, the percentage who say they have a great deal or a fair amount of trust and confidence, it's only, it's been hovering basically around 20%, 21% the last reading from Gallup. Now take a look among Democrats, it's up at 76%. So basically Democrats are much more trusting of the media than Republicans are, so when you see these Democrats sort of attacking the media, it just, to me, it doesn't ring nearly as strong as something that can work as well in a primary, not just because of these polling numbers, but think about it. If the Democrats are looking for the antithesis of Donald Trump this time around. Then choosing someone who basically does the exact same thing that he does in terms of railing against the media just doesn't ring true to me. A-
3: a- except let me just throw one last thing in there. Uh, there is a, a, a coalition of folks on the far left who see the rise of Donald Trump as a validation for them to say we need to put up our own extreme populist. That the the that the establishment rung, the centrist uh, wing of the party certainly may seem more electable but what we really need is passion and so Donald Trump gives us license to put up our own populist extremists because that's what fighting fire with fire. I personally think that burns down the whole house, but you know, there you go.
1: But fun, I cannot follow, continue that metaphor analogy. I always screw up whichever one it is. But does it also, is that the par- wing of the party that blames the media that Donald Trump was elected? Like
2: probably some overlap, imagine. Well, I, you know what I, mean? I yeah. mean, look, I mean, the fact is, is there's always going to be a receptive part of the party to that sort of message. But look at where Bernie Sanders is polling right now. He, you know, he's stuck basically in the mid teens nationally. And we just read off an Iowa poll where he couldn't top 10 percent. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll just also mention this. Wait.
1: So do you, are you yeah. thinking then that you think that this is Bernie's taking this tactic because he needs a scapegoat for where he stands in the polls? Yeah,
2: I think that's law. Look, I think But he's
1: fact, hated corporate America forever, yeah,
2: ever. of course he hates <laughs> it, but he's he's emphasizing this message now. You, but you also see, obviously, Joe Biden also going after the media, right? They're not necessarily loving the coverage. But, you know, I'll just point out a few things. Number one, you know, five has been tracking. My good old friends there have been tracking, you know, who's leading in media mentions on cable news, who's leading in media <sighs> mentions in online stories. And Biden regularly runs well ahead of the pack on cable news and in online articles. Sanders routinely Runs in the top four. Um, I will say this though. I will what? give both of them credit on this sort of way. And that is, you know, I don't think that the media, you know, is thinking, okay, I like this candidate, therefore, you know, I'm going to boost this person, and I don't like this candidate, therefore, I'm going to dig into this person.
1: No, don't even. El-
2: no, no. No, that's no, not how it no. works. That's not how it works at all. But I do think that there is sometimes, you know, you. If you live in a city in New York, you know, if if someone is an analyst, you can't help but see what's sort of going on. Who are the people you talk to? Who are the sources that you talk to? I think part of the problem last time in terms of why the media sort of missed Donald Trump was because the fact is the media is very well educated. We don't know a lot of people who don't have college degrees, at least in terms of the people that the media tends to hang around with on a day to day, at least within the city. And I will say that both Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, as I mentioned earlier tend to pull their support from those without a college degree. So sometimes I do think the media does have a blind spot to their supporters.
1: I don't I would I would concede this. I don't I agree that a lot of people have surround themselves with friend groups that are echo chambers, not even friend groups, but this like society does. But I don't think it has to do with education. I mean, I I don't think that as like Debbie Dingell is one of the first people who was shouting from the rooftops in Michigan that she saw amongst her. Voters in, in her district that Don, they, Donald Trump was resonating. And she was saying it. She yep. was raising the alarm in 2016, and it just folks weren't listening.
2: Sure. Sure. They weren't listening. And I think part of the reason they weren't listening was because if you look to Manhattan, it was it was Donald Trump actually lost the island of Manhattan in the Republican primary, despite winning the state by, you know, with 60 yep. percent of the vote. I, I just think that sometimes that we do, in fact, you know, sort of fall in or echo chambers. This is not to say that Bernie Sanders complaint about Jeff Bezos has any merit. Right. I'm just saying in terms of I do think that sometimes the media loses track of who necessarily is appealing to the Democratic primary electorate.
1: We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive into President Trump's approval rating when it comes to the economy and why Harry thinks that he could actually win over some Democrats. I know that's simplistic, but we'll get to it. And also, we're going to look at how Republicans have evolved, I think is a nice way to say it. Yeah, air quotes on their views of presidential power. That's next. the economy, stupid. It has been a ubiquitous political mantra and truism since the wonderful James Carville of 1992. If that is still true today, does the president know that? This is what we're calling Harry's weekly obsession. (laughs) And this is it this week. Wendy's? We're
2: going to eat Wendy's live on set? My goodness. What have you found? (laughs) No, look. If any of you have been paying attention to polls, what you know is that the president's approval rating has been consistently under 45 percent and are I aggregated together the CNN polls the last three times we took it. And what do we find among voters? Trump's approval rating has been 44 percent, his disapproval 52 percent. But on the economy, you basically have the inverse, 53 percent approval and 42 percent disapproval. So to me, this seems like a simple mathematical equation. Can Donald Trump win over some of that 9% of the electorate that approves of him on the economy, but not overall, and get those voters to approve with him overall. Now, here's the issue, among other things, is if you look at that slate of voters, that 9%, they differ radically from the overall 44% who approve of Trump overall. So, for instance, we know that among the Trump base, those who approve of Trump, Nearly 90% of them consider themselves either Republicans or Republican-leaning independents. But take a look at those who approve of Trump on the economy, but not overall. In fact, a majority of those voters actually consider themselves either Democrats or leaning Democratic. But it's not just about political party. It's about demographics as well. So if you take a look at race, for instance, which I think is the number one key stat here, among those who approve of Trump overall, that particular group, about 80% of those are white, but take a look at those who say they approve of Trump on the economy, but not overall. Only about 60 percent of those are white, while the percentage African-Americans make up of the Trump overall group is just two percent versus 18 percent among those who approve of Trump on the economy, but not overall. And that's why you can cons- consistently see the president trying to tout, you know, black unemployment so low. But to me, every single time that he makes those statements that he makes, whether they be about the four um, uh, women of color who serve in Congress, or whether it be about uh, Cummings, you you basically are basically sticking a shiv into that message, and you're basically saying, no wonder why there's this large section of African Americans who approve of Trump on the economy, but not overall.
3: And, and I'll add to that, look, there, there, there are two double Achilles heels inside that stat. First of all, when people ask, do you approve of Donald Trump on the economy? Some folks agree that if do you approve of the economy under Donald Trump? The uh, economy has been objectively doing pretty well. So anyone who considers themselves fair-minded will say, "Sure, the economy is doing pretty well. I approve of the job sense. the economy is doing under Donald Trump." Now that may turn into a compared to what proposition if the Democrats nominate say Bernie Sanders and they think it'll move in a dramatically different direction. But that I think that is that more than many other policy positions is untethered to his policies or or his persona. The se- the second thing is, he is 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 Walking on a very thin line, the yield curve inverted today. People will say it's a very big deal. It seems very technical, but basically, the yield on a ten-year is, is now lower than the yield on a two-year. We'll just know this, and that every, always leaves. Yeah,
1: every recession was preceded by this thing. That correct, happened, you know. correct.
3: So, so I mean, that's that's wonky, but this is a wonk-friendly podcast. The point you're, is, you're that with friends here. If the economy. Goes south, as it statistically is likely to do, especially if you look at the ramping up of the debt under this president and the ramping up of spending as well. Um, So we're not going to have the tools you typically use to pull our way out of a recession. Um, That 44 percent I have long said is maybe look more like a ceiling of his support than a floor.
2: Mm. I I think – why don't we talk about the economy at large, right? What we know is if you were to take essentially a weighted average of job growth in the two years preceding a presidential election, where essentially the year before gets twice the weight of the year two years before. And what you see is basically a very straight line relationship, whereby If the economy, if job growth is high, you win re-election. If job growth is low, you lose re-election. And right now, the president's job growth is such that I basically planned it out. And if it continued on the pace that it was, he would actually be a slight favorite for re-election in terms of the popular vote. But if we see say a recession takes place and job growth recedes, then all of a sudden the one thing that could in fact boost him is now a negative for him. And I would say adios amigos goodbye unless the Democrats nominate someone so untenable.
1: But what you lay out, I mean, with like there is a real there's a real difference between black voters approval of him overall and black voters approval of him on the economy, but but not overall. Correct. The, that to me, I mean, to a novice, that's that's an opportunity, that's an opening. He's not doing he's anything. Not, he's not going for that. into
2: it. And, and, and take a look at the other groups, right? Take a look, age, right? He's consistently playing to his older base. And if you look at the median age of those who approve of him, it's fifty-two. If you look at the median age of those who approve of him on the economy but not overall, it's forty-four. Okay, Education so, levels, the same
1: thing. Okay, so then it leads to the question of why. And that that gets into psychology and campaign politics and campaign strategy. Is it there? Of course, the first knee jerk reaction is generally because if he moves towards moderates, mm-hmm. let's just well, put, lump them all in there. Uh, he will lose his base. But I would say no. I think mm-hmm. there's no way Donald Trump loses his base. There's yeah, I,
3: no way he loses the 44%. It, it's hard to impossible to imagine a scenario, given that even during the campaign, he said he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, and his base would stick with him. And that still seems to be true. Normal political math, and which he has defied successful at least to win election, uh, would say you practice the politics of addition, not division. That is not him. And you can see certain policies where he's been basically nudged into that lane, criminal justice reform, which creates the outlines of something that could Mm -hmm. be a powerful reelection strategy. But his impulse is to divide, not to unite. And that makes that's why the campaign basically admitted following the president's lead. They're not going to reach out to swing voters. That's not their strategy, which is why you're going to see instead a just scorched earth, a negative partisanship play to the base strategy,
2: which they hope will pull him over to the finish line. Trump's approval rating within his own party is consistently 80 to 90 percent. It just doesn't drop below that. And I have to be honest with you. I think he gets in front of these crowds that love him so much and he loves that adoration mm-hmm. that he doesn't. He's like, I, I, they love me. They love me. They love me. And he can't possibly imagine getting in front of a crowd that maybe is a little lukewarm on him. And therefore, he plays to the crowd that loves him, even if that crowd is not large enough to win reelection. election hmm.
1: Okay, so moving from Harry's obsession to John's weekly obsession, you do not have to dig too deep in the archive to find Republicans outraged, outraged by the executive actions of, well, President Obama, basically, that he took as president. They didn't like him. Calling him an emperor, an imperial president. Here is just one of so many examples, Rand Paul.
0: The president acts like he's a king. He ignores the Constitution. He arrogantly says, if Congress will not act, then I must. Pirate. These are not the words of a great leader. These are the words that sound more like the exclamations of an autocrat.
1: So what are Rand Paul and other conservatives saying now as President Trump transparently talks about his love of executive action and powers for coming from Article 2? John?
3: <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> Nada. Ningoon. I saw a tumbleweed cross the studio. Look, this, this drives me crazy because it, it shows how much of the outrage around the Tea Party movement was pure situational ethics or something uglier that it has never been about policy, so much of that overheated opposition to Barack Obama. Um, one tell in that Rand Paul quote is the word arrogant. Um, that's a very specific word. Um, and, and it was one deployed a lot, and it didn't mean that No Drama Obama seemed aloof to them. Uh, that there was race, and there was uh, animus about immigration and demographic changes in the country that really fueled that fire, because now, you see, Donald Trump epitomizing all the stuff they allegedly hated from the increasing deficits in debt and the intergenerational theft they represent uh, to embracing our enemies and alienating our allies. Remember that line about Obama? <laughs> Donald Trump's literally codified that into policy and talk about autocrat and autocracy. He's hugging autocrats around the world height as part of his nationalist cadre. So what stunned me about a brand new Pew study was that it crystallized this stat. Um, Because again, think about Republican, little r Republican. One of the flow throughs has always been a distrust of centralized power, Mm -hmm. right? That you wanted wanted less powerful executive. Well, this Pew Center poll found that uh, since Obama had left office, The number of of, uh, conservative Republicans who said that uh, the problems of the U.S. would be solved if, quote, U.S. presidents didn't have so much to worry about Congress or the courts went from 26 to 52, a majority. It literally doubled. The only thing that changed was the party of the person in power. That is rank hypocrisy. And it shows that all those ideas, the the idea that the Republican Party was being motivated by ideas in principle is just B.S.,
1: I'm trying to think if there's, like, any other explanation for that other than we just like the guy in office and we really didn't like the guy that was in office. There's I just always like going to be there a
3: little bit of noise yeah. about you're at a, you know where you stand is a matter of where you sit. That's a, I will make a lot of discount for that normal bit of humanity. What I won't do is say I have a philosophical worldview and we know what we stand for and it's in deep beliefs rooted in an understanding of the Constitution that the rest of you guys don't get. And all of a sudden when their guy comes into power who literally is embracing autocrats around the world and has said that he has enormous disregard for constraints and checks and balances, they flip. Not only flip, those numbers double. Mm-hmm.
2: This, to me, reminds me of what we also see, for instance, on views on Russia and approval of Russia. And what, you know, good historically point. speaking, Republicans were actually the party that was more likely to disapprove of Russia as a country. For very good reason. And now, all of a sudden, those numbers, whoop! That was a flip. Democrats are the ones who are more likely to disapprove of Russia. And obviously that has everything to do, if you're being honest with yourself, with how this president of the United States has interacted with Russia, the calls about whether or not Russia interfered with the election. And so to me, this is I mean, you know, call me cynical, call me whatever you want. These numbers like to call you, Harry, you like to call me, Harry, (laughs) you know, uh, whatever you want. Just don't call me late for lunch, as my father used to say Uh, this to me. (laughs) Is just exactly what I would expect. Exactly what I would expect.
3: Okay, that cynical.
2: I you have no idea how cynical I am. Yes,
1: yes, but can I also enter into the conversation that it's not like Democrats aren't are like their hands are so clean here either. I mean, I was just and I'm not. I didn't even not even combing through the statements from all of the Democratic candidates or all of the Democrats in Congress, I was literally, I was just like, you know, I'm just going to look on their campaign websites. And Kamala Harris on her website, Joe Biden on his website. If Congress doesn't act and hers is on on gun legislation, she's going to take executive action to keep our communities and keep our kids safe. Joe Biden on day one, Biden will sign a series of new executive orders with unprecedented reach that go well beyond the Obama-Biden administration platform and put us on the right track. I mean, it's not... Like they've but, learned a lesson. No
3: but, no, but can I make a point for at least something resembling philosophic consistency? Traditionally, the progressive movement over 100 years, which has included Republicans in the beginning like TR and then Democrats in the wake of Woodrow Wilson, have taken a more expansive view of the executive. They have tried to say whatever is not strictly restricted in the Constitution, the executive has the power to do. So at least that has some degree of historic continuity with the philosophy they claim to represent. But they know, Republicans but and they, conservatives have been the opposite of that. But,
1: they, but these are the same people who are railing against how, how much power Donald Trump has been grabbing with his executive actions. And these are not like uh, not, and they're not promising executive action on just small regulation. They're no. really this is on gun legislation, this is on some to the, of base the most stuff. divisive things in, in th- that our nation ever has tackled.
2: This is part of the reason, you know, to take a nerdy standpoint here. Why I don't necessarily it's all been nerdy here. It's all nerdy. Yeah. All
1: I don't night, know what that song is. I'm getting it's not scared. a real song. Okay, um, just checking.
2: I make up songs. <laughs> In the shower. It's so much um, Look, this is why, you know, issue polling to me is interesting but is also, you know, a fugazi, a fake, a nothing because people change their minds to fit around the circumstances that are most convenient to them. And, you, you know, you remember – Oh, George W. Bush. We love all the actions he took. Oh, wait a minute. We don't. If we're Democrats, then, you know, we want to take back some of his power. Then Obama gets him. We're going to get more power, less. It's all a matter of advancing the policy goals that they want. It's not so much an issue of, you know, this idea up in the sky of how much power the president should have.
1: Well, I think our final conclusion is that everyone in this entire country has such short memories.
3: <laughs> like, I
2: concur honestly, with that. Honestly sadly,
1: honestly, sadly. Yes. And with that in mind, that does it for us today, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. While you're there, leave us a rating and a comment, please. It helps new listeners find the show. You can always find us on Twitter. I'm at Kate Baldwin.
2: I'm at John Apple. Abel-
1: Harry, it's the same thing every week.
2: I know, but I sometimes forget. I have short (laughs) memories. I'm at Forecaster Enten. That's forecaster, like the snow forecaster. I did go to weather camp. Enten, E-N-T-E-N. It means ducks in German. Not a thing.
1: Like, if I went to space camp, I could say, like, I could... Okay, anyway. Does
2: Enten mean ducks in German? It does.
3: So wow. much more too. So much done. And in next week, <laughs> special Ducks thanks in to our, German.
1: <laughs> special thanks to our team behind the scenes, Amy Eason, Lauren Moore, and Mrs. Lowski. We'll see you back here next time on the Forecast Fest.
0: When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, sleep number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep next level.